Welcome to Plant Network Podcast, where we talk to horticulturists about their gardens and their careers. Welcome to the Plant Network podcast, an interview with. Today I'm speaking with Pam Smith, who's National Trust Garden and Parks Consultant for the Midlands region. Hello, Pam, and thank you for joining me today. I'm really pleased about being involved in Plant Network again. So can you tell me a bit about your role with the National Trust? Yeah, well, um, it's an advisory role, so it's still a consultant, but obviously it's a full-time employee role with the Trust, so... For people involved with the trust years ago, it's the old garden advisor role. Um, I support 30, about 30 gardens in the Midlands region. So it's advised, it's a bit like being a floating head gardener. I advise gardens on projects. So I'm the project design lead for two big projects, a children's garden up in Derbyshire and a 1.7 million restoration in Herefordshire. But the general core work is probably familiar to a lot of Plant Network members. It's about pest and disease, presentation, conservation, recruitment, staff support, um, some visitor engagement and interpretation, whatever the call is really at each property. So how did you get to, to where you are? I think everything I did led to this. I've always worked in horticulture since I left school. So I've always had an interest in being outdoors and gardens, very much the amenity and historic and botanic side rather than the production side. So I was always working in industries that I think this led into. I was freelance for a bit prior to get the National Trust job and I just really missed working in gardens. I was working with a lot of heritage and museum stuff and this job came up and it was one of the ones where you think, oh, I'll lie, but you know lots of people who work there. So you're not quite sure whether you're going to make a fool of yourself. <laughs> but no, it's great. And actually, it's the best job I've had in horticulture, I think. It's very varied. And yeah, looking back, I think everything I could put on my CV at the time, even the short six-month jobs and the one-year part-time ones, all into being able to get this job. What kind of pathway did you take? You say you've been in horticulture since you, you left school. So I knew I wanted to work outside. I was brought up in Anglesey, middle of the countryside, on tenant farms near the beach. We never had a house with a garden. Um, we were very windswept and literally had sand in the garden. Thinking back, I could have had an amazing coastal tender plant garden, but I didn't know enough then. My granddad had a garden. He was the one who got me into it. I initially wanted to do farm management because I was grew up on tenant farms, but... I went vegetarian when I was 12 and at the time I just couldn't see a role for a vegetarian farm manager. Then I wanted to do forestry so when I was 15 I wanted to do forestry and I actually applied and got into Newton Ring in Cumbria but I couldn't find anywhere to do my pre-college year but I could find lots of places that would take you on in horticulture for a pre-college year which was essential for the R&D courses. So my pre-college year was a YTS in Bangor in North Wales and Tuscan Brian and did the, what was the R&D at the time which was, looking back, it's a very intensive course. It was nine till five, five days a week. Every fourth Saturday, you worked on the college grounds. We only had six weeks holiday across the whole academic year. Um, my middle year placement was in Sheffield Parks Department. So working in a number of parks and six months at the Botanic Garden. And that was my first experience of working in Botanic Gardens. So, yeah, I came from public parks. I'm still a public park person. 
I worked there 12 years. My biggest step actually was moving to Birmingham from, I lived in Newcastle to get the job at Director of the Botanic Garden at Birmingham Uni. So that was a massive step for me in terms of a learning curve. And obviously up, up six, move my family, sell my house and move to Birmingham, a city I'd never been to before, apart from the interview. But I just fell in love with the garden and it just felt like a good opportunity. And then, as I say, I went freelance for a bit because uh, my youngest was younger. I didn't want to do all the preschool and after school club. And I worked for English Heritage, did HLF bids, the Great Dixter. So a lot of really good stuff. And I think that set me up for this job because every day is varied. It's not like working in one garden. Every day I'm at a different garden. There's a different issue. Phone calls are different. So it's almost like being freelance. But I do miss having one garden to really focus on and get to know. I often wonder if I would have gone down the landscape architect route if I'd known about it more. What didn't really come up on my radar until later. But I think you know, I'm quite a plants person and I think this was the best way for me to go. I think I've been lucky in that I've taken a lot of risks. I've given up full-time jobs for one that was six months teaching to see if I liked teaching. I didn't so much, so a year later I went back to my old job that was still available, luckily. Yeah, I think it, the, if you're movable, and that's so much harder for a second career, I think as an 18-year-old, being able to move and upstate and go and live in York and Sheffield, um, not go home at weekends and not that that wasn't an issue. It's so much harder now for men and women. We have got a lot of second career people coming, which is great. I would say most of the skills I use now I le I've learned on the job. It's no matter what order you do the skills in, you do other skills and then learn horticulture on the job. It doesn't matter which way around you do it. So you, you talk about your current role, how you, you enjoyed working with, with the different gardens, but missed being yeah. really close with a particular garden. Yeah. So I just yeah. wondered whether you wanted to say a bit more about what you enjoy about your, your current role and whether there are any projects that you're working on that you can talk about and that are really exciting and interesting. The nice thing working with the National Trust is that there's a lot of respect for people's passion for what they do, whether you're you know, out of property or you know, working in the consultancy. Um, so I've met a lot of people who are passionate about things I didn't even know existed when I joined the National Trust. Indoor stuff, you know, picture frames, piano stools, furniture. I'm, I love it. We go to meetings and I'm you're often in a meeting where the morning is about the indoors and the afternoon is about the outdoors. And if I sit in the morning and just eavesdrop those conversations, it's amazing. I do like working with the gardeners. I just like getting there. And it's such a privilege to, you know, park up and know the door through to the back of the wall garden where the mess room is. I'm going to have a sit down and chat to the volunteers. So I like just being in places. The driving is tricky. I'm not enjoying the driving. Lockdown has made me realised how much time of my week the driving does take up. There are some projects, I'm working a lot in Herefordshire, just coincidentally a lot of the big projects are over there at the moment. So there's a big 21 acre orchard restoration going on there, including work with artists on the landscape art project. But the first trees went in um, just before Christmas and most of it will be planted next year. We're doing a lot of new gardens, which is interesting, and working with new designers and writing briefs for new design, creating new design doing the first children's country house and children's country house garden at Sudbury. So that will be something completely different with, to the point that we don't even know what it will be yet. But the whole house is being going to be run, managed, used by children and the garden. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen. So we're working with Lyndon Groves on that bit. She's helping to advise us. But 
the one I spend probably a day a week at is Barrington Hall, Capability Brown's last garden. It actually died before it's finished. And it's about 1.7 million. Restoration is the wrong word. We often don't restore, we sort of recreate and we accept various layers that have happened since. But it's a curved wall garden that hasn't been in National Trust ownership ever until May last year. It always belonged to the family and it was close to the public and it has been used as a farm for 100 years and before that it was a very productive wall garden. So that's come back to the trust, we've been doing gorilla gardening all year, letting the plants hops grow over the barns, planting sunflowers and pumpkins in the sheep dip and now hopefully our restoration starts. Our big thing at the moment obviously is with the impact on all our heritage industries, how much, when will those projects go ahead? how much of a delay will there be and will we have to rethink so when we all get back to normal I think some of these projects will have a delay or a rethink but I think we can tap into a lot of the skills we have in the teams and look at perhaps doing a little bit more in-house and seeing where we get to. You mentioned a few gardens there and I just wondered whether there was a particular favourite in your portfolio or maybe you don't want to mention that because you don't want to highlight it's like your favourite child I don't want to highlight my favourite garden or whether there's a favourite garden in the wider National Trust or just a favourite uh, garden or somewhere you'd like to go back to? People who know me will probably be able to list my favourites because I never shut up about them. <laughs> uh, my favourite garden, even before joining the Trust, has always been Double Grange, near Stoke. It's a real plantsman's garden. James Bateman was one of those people who was a patron of plant hunters but knew his stuff. He was a good gardener, a good grower, an orchid specialist, created the most amazingly strange microclimates. You know, there were tunnels, there's a Great Wall of China, there's the most amazing stumpery, potentially one of the first ever done in Britain. So that's magical because you get your fix of being a child, being a gardener. Yeah, it's great. And the team there are just amazing. There's something very quirky about being at Biddle. It's like a bit of a twilight zone, strange things happen. <laughs> but actually, probably my favourite is one of the smallest gardens and it's over in Shropshire and it's called Benthal Hall. And I've so much got into that garden. I'm helping the team there do a lot of research. It was the home to a botanist, George Moore, who wrote Crocus Monograph. And he lived there for over 30 years, introduced 4,000 plant species to the UK via that garden, wrote to Hooker, designed the plant labels for Q. And a lot of this I found out and no one else knew. So I'm busy researching that and... It'll be one of the themes of my talk at the PlantNet conference in Edinburgh in October. And that is true horticultural therapy. It's only about four acres. There's one garden gardener. It's not open to the public all year round. It's still very much a family house. Uh, at this time of year, I'm really missing it. It's magical. And it's just one of those places where you sit on a stone, have a cup of tea with the gardener and have a chat. So I think that will be the first garden I'm going to go back to once, once we can go back to normal. Has there been a garden that's inspired you or perhaps it's been a person or, or another place? Yeah, I think, well, as I say, my granddad got me into gardening. He was a very traditional gardener with his alisum and his lobelia and his roses. He had lots of greenhouses, so he got me into it. But actually, I think it was working at Winterbourne, the University Botanic Garden, because as I say, that was such a big step to give up, you know, to move sticks and go to a job that was actually, it was only a two-year contract. So there's three gardeners there who'd worked there for longer than I'd been alive. <laughs> so they were maintaining the garden. It had less than 100 visitors a year, only on certain open days. It was a friends group. And they were the main people who used it. So I think because it was under the radar, I 
it was very much a honeymoon period, could just try things. Very supportive department and I did everything from plan events to make the tickets, to cut them up with scissors, to hand them out on the gate, to write the management plan, to look at changing the planting and actually open it to the public. Within a year of me being there, we opened to the public for the first time. And I look back now and it stares me at the things I did without asking if I was allowed to. But I was there nine years in the end and that just gave me confidence to think, yeah, I, I know how I work, I know what I'm good at, I know what I'm not good at. And also to realise sometimes which arguments to choose and which not to. <laughs> I've still got a very soft spot for Winterbourne and it is only four miles down the road. And I left in 2005 and I've visited three times since. I find it hard to go back. It's just somewhere really special and means a lot to me. And it's absolutely stunning now. It's beautifully maintained. We've got amazing gardens because someone was passionate about them and did it. And sometimes we can be in danger of managing by committee. And it's really important when you're working in the garden to just try other things and do things and just ask if you can be in on that meeting, ask if you can help do that tree leaflet, because that's where our gardens have come from. They're often one or two people and we shouldn't lose that and the skills of the head gardeners to be able to deliver that, that broad range of work. I'm going to ask you a question now that I'm asking everybody I'm talking to. And this is, you're, you're stuck on a, on a, a, a deserted island rather than a, a desert island maybe a deserted that island helps. that helps <laughs> what three plants would you take with you well I grew up on an island it wasn't particularly deserted but there wasn't a lot of us there lots of people who know me will know I love mandapuzzle trees but to be honest I'm not the most patient gardener either and I think I'd like a bit of practicality and a bit of luxury so every garden I've ever owned I've always had myrtles. I love myrtle. I haven't got any at the moment. I lost them all, what, two winters ago? And I haven't got around to replacing them. So I love myrtles. I love the smell. I love the history. And they're practical. They're edible. And for similar reasons, probably lavender as well. I really like lavender. And I think the third one would be, I was thinking something practical like parsley, because I eat parsley every day. But I'm going to go for a nice Damascene rose. I love the old roses and I just love the scent of rose and I cook with rose water a lot. There's a garden design, a myrtle, a lavender and a rose. It could be a little shrub bed somewhere around it, but very scented, aren't they? That's quite a collection. So I'm really into my plant history and plant collections. They've all got a nice little historical angle to them as well, really. So you can write the history in the sound. I can, yeah. I'll be, I'll be, doing, I'll be doing interpretation signs for them. <laughs> Would you like to travel anywhere in the world to see... Uh, a plant a group of plants a habitat is there anywhere you'd like to go uh, well it's having talked about mantra puzzles i did i would always like to go and see them in a natural habitat however recently we've decided probably we've done our last flights um we've done a lot of flying the last three or four years my daughter lives in vietnam so we've visited her and think you know what i've had my share i am saving one flight for the one place i would like to go and actually it would be to the Antarctic. I would like to get to the Antarctic, to Port Lothroy, where, I'm sorry, but there's no plants. There's no <laughs> but I'm very, I'm in the UK Antarctic Heritage Trust. I read about polar explorers. I've loved that since I was, I don't know, primary school age. And every year I look at the applications to go volunteer at Port Lothroy for a season. And I just think, oh. One day. I mean, I don't know what use a gardener would be there. I'll, I'll do the post. I'll do some cooking. I'll do it. But yes, um, um, 
that's the one place I would like to go. If it had to be plants, it would be to Chile to go and see monkey puzzles. But uh, even above my monkey puzzles, I'd go to the Antarctic. <laughs> Is there anything about you that might surprise people? Other than the Antarctic aspect, which I think is, is interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there is. I'm, I'm, my hobbies at home are very similar to the hobby. You know, I love gardening. I've got an allotment. I love walking. I make beer. I've been on some brewing courses. And making beer is a real big thing that do I even considered when I work part-time of being a part-time brewer somewhere. But I've ended up back full-time again. Um, I'm really getting into garden writing actually. I'm writing a lot, not necessarily for public things. I've been writing quite a few things for the National Trust website. Um, but yeah, I've really enjoyed the writing side of things. So I think I might start doing a bit more of that. Um, I do notebooks and sketchbooks and writing. So I think I'll probably just, it'd be nice at some point to actually get something published. I don't know what or where, but I think that would be something I'd quite like to do. But I'm out of time if I go to the Antarctic. And so. <laughs> to go to the Antarctic where there are no plants to write about plants. Yes, you're not going to put me off, you know. <laughs> I'm not. I think it's a great idea. And I also think the writing's a great idea. If you do have anything you'd like to, to send to Plant Network, you know, even if it's been published right, elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I'm writing an article yeah. on George Moore that hopefully will feed into the Sebaldia after the conference. But that's really given me as with everything you need deadlines don't you because that's really got all my notes and photocopies and archives all together and i've started doing that i've had a lot more office time obviously so i'm plodding on with that well that's all my questions for you um and thank, thank you. you very much pam no, thank you for asking yeah no it's been great and as i say it's great i'm really pleased plant networks there especially at a time like now i think it's come into its fall even more Thank you for joining Plant Network Podcasts.